Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Philippians chapter 3. I want to ask a question. And so go to Philippians 3. Let's start there. Philippians chapter 3. And the question I want to begin with today is, and, and you can respond, how many here you have a trophy of some type at home? You have a trophy, you, your own trophy, not your kid's trophy. You have a trophy. Put your hand up if you have a trophy. Only two of us have trophies? Three of us, three of us, four of us. Okay, I think thought it was going to be more than that. Um, uh, achievements, and, and we are people who like to have markers for achievements. Uh, we have set our culture up to really recognize, and I don't think it's a bad thing, I think it's a good thing, to acknowledge achievement. Uh, if you are particularly doing well in school, you have a scholarship, it's an achievement, it marks your achievement, whether through scholarship. Um, if you're in sports, you know, you might have an entire bookshelf or a trophy case of all your trophies and and achievements and medals and whatever might come with that. Uh, universities have it and colleges have it. Companies give bonuses. You give bonus based on achievement. Did you reach your goals? And you have maybe performance uh, interviews every once in a while to see if you're performing up to what needs to be or exceeding in performance and you are achieving more. The film industry offers Oscars, TV, Emmys, music, the Grammys. We recognize, and particularly in our entertainment-saturated society, we want to acknowledge people's achievements. We call them, in entertainment society, we call them celebrities. Celebrities. And, uh, you know, a number of people have their celebrities, people that they follow, they track with. If they put out a movie or the celebrity has a song or maybe the celebrity might be in sports, then we will go to great means in order to get it or to watch it or to be a part of it. We like to follow them. I came across a story, and I found it funny, a story uh, of a tourist who was standing in line to buy ice cream cone at a store in Beverly Hills. To their utter shock and amazement, who should walk into the ice cream store and stand behind her was her favorite celebrity. She was undone. She shook. But trying not to show that she was rattled that the celebrity was standing behind her, she determined she was going to maintain her composure. She purchased her ice cream cone, turned with confidence, and exited the store with no incident. However, when she got out the store to her horror, she realized that she left her ice cream cone back in the store. Oh, what was she to do? She waited a few minutes and felt maybe all is clear. You can't wait too long. It's an ice cream cone. Then she slipped back into the store to receive her, to retrieve her cone. As she approached the counter, the cone wasn't there. For a moment, she stood, pondered what happened to her ice cream cone. Then she felt this polite tap on her shoulder. And turning around, she was confronted by, you guessed it, her celebrity. The famous actor then told the lady that if she was looking for her ice cream cone, 
she had put it in her purse. High achievers can intimidate us. We can do stupid things around them. Well, the Apostle Paul writes chapter 3, and he identifies himself as a high achiever. He identifies his life, what his life was, and what it now stands for. Let's go to chapter 3. I hope you have that. Uh, Turn to it in your Bibles, your devices. I know we will be putting it up on PowerPoint. If you are watching us live, I invite you also just to turn to it so it's in front of you, because we're going to go through it uh, almost verse by verse, because there's so many significant points to look at as we go through chapter 3. Let's just ask the Lord to guide us. Lord, this morning, we desire your Holy Spirit to navigate these next few minutes intentionally. Take us to where you would have us to go. I pray you would give us clarity of thought. Help us to be alert. Help us to be watchful and careful in how we handle your words, that they be words of life to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, he's writing to the Philippians He's writing from Rome. He's in jail. He's writing this letter. And we've been on this series. This is part four of our series. Verse one. Further. So he's following on with the thoughts he's just been talking about. We've preached about, though I'm not going to review any of it. Further. My brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Everybody say rejoice in the Lord. Now turn and look at somebody else and say rejoice in the Lord. Now turn and look at someone else and say, rejoice in the Lord. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord. People at home, I don't know who you were looking to, but rejoice in the Lord. Another translation says, have joy in the Lord. So it's not just like, you know, put something on and start bouncing and dancing. and, and you know. No, have joy in the Lord. Now we've talked about there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is based on the moment, based on the emotions. But joy is not. Joy is none of the above. Joy is is deep-seated. Joy is in spite of circumstances. You have joy. You can be in the most horrible situation and have joy. Doesn't mean you're excited. Doesn't mean you're happy. Doesn't mean you have to put a big smile on your face. But your countenance and your demeanor is filled with an assurance of joy. So, as we come to this passage right here, it says in verse 1, Have joy in the Lord. He continues, It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is safeguard for you. He's saying, listen, I'm going to keep telling you the same thing here. And it's no trouble. Because the payoff is that that you can discover the joy that I've discovered. The payoff is great. So, I'm going to keep saying, it doesn't pain me to do it, doesn't trouble me, I'm going to keep doing this. Because it's for your good to have joy in the Lord. Well, how many here know that there are some real joy killers in this world? (laughs) There's some real joy killers. They don't have joy, and they don't want you to have joy. I call it, they like to rain on your parade. They like to, to spill out of their boundaries onto your boundaries because They're miserable and want you to be miserable. Now, you know some people like that. Don't look at anybody inside here. Husbands don't look at wives. Wives don't look at husbands. But you know people who do that. They are people who just want to step all over something good going on in your life. And 
Verse 2, Paul addresses that. He refers to it. Let's go verse 2. Watch out for those dogs. Okay, let's pause here. Dogs are getting a bad rap here. How many here own a dog? Go ahead. How many own a dog? Okay, God bless you. I mean, seriously, God bless you. Uh, now, he's not referring to little Buffy the dog. Cute little thing. When he mentions dogs here, the phrase dogs are actually, it's, the reference here is disease, dirty, diseased scavengers. That's how it was interpreted. So when he said, watch out for those dogs, he's not referring to those little cute little things that you see walking the leash. He's referring to these scavengers. They walked in packs. They were mangy, and everybody hated them. Okay, They weren't somebody's pet. They were wild, and they would steal the food off your two-year-old's lap if they could. They, you didn't like them. He says, watch out for those dogs. So, again, it's not an endearing term. Watch out for those dogs. You get this when you continue. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, he's making reference to an actual situation because they just wanted to go around and circumcise everybody. I mean, that's just, yeah, they were mutilators of the flesh, dogs. That was the particular situation, but there's a broader application to this, and that's today. He's referring to those, beware of the people who will rob you of your joy. Beware of those who will steal it from you. Seems like all their goal in life is to take it from you. And then next, with very quiet and firm reassurance, Paul communicates a very simple truth to his friends. Verse 3. For it is we who are the, cir- who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. I want you to note the last six words of verse 3. Put no confidence in the flesh. Don't put confidence there. So he is saying, you might be very gifted, you might be very talented. Some of you here this morning, you might be very gifted musically. Maybe you have a voice that the angels would join in with. Maybe you are an amazing musician. You can play, you can, you can lead, you can your instrument, and, and it's just, it comes easy. You have an ear for it. Some of you here are very gifted athletically. Uh, you, you, you were always at the top of the teams that you were a part of. You're athletically gifted. Some of you here are very academically gifted. You're good with your reading and retaining, understanding and processing information. Uh, you're one of the ones who get those scholarships. You're really good academically. Some of you here are... Um, are very good when it comes to your social skills. You're, you're a social person. You could, you know, that expression, sell ice cubes to the Eskimos. I know it's not a good expression anymore. But, yeah, you could sell anything, any place, anytime, any, to any person. You're really good at it. And you have convincing argument. You can, you can read the audience and you're good. Maybe you're a great teacher. You're gifted at teaching. And you can take information that's really confusing. And by the time it goes through and filters through you, everybody's going, I get it now. Whatever it is, and we tend to be good at some things. Paul is saying when we get to verse 3, he's saying, don't put confidence. Don't put your confidence there. Now, it doesn't mean disregard it. But don't place your confidence with that. He says, don't put no confidence in the flesh. And actually, whew, 
that's a relief. Because if we put our confidence in the flesh, then if our flesh fails us, then your confidence is gone. So don't put your confidence there. Put your confidence in Christ. He has made you. He has gifted you. You are who you are. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. He has granted you. And so place your confidence not in the flesh, not in your abilities, not in your achievements, not in what you can do, because guess what? One day that disappears. One day that diminishes. One day it gets burned up. It gets, it gets lost. It gets old. It gets wrinkly. <laughs> okay? It gets decrepit. Whatever it is, don't place your confidence there. Verse 3, place no confidence there. This is God's grace that comes to our rescue. We place our confidence in that God's grace is sufficient for all things. No pride, because God gets the glory. And then Paul now puts himself as an example. Paul says, basically he's saying, now use me as an example, Paul said. Use me as an example. And he goes on to verse 4. Let's read it. Though I myself have reason for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Wow, he kind of sounds a little cocky there, doesn't he? I have more. And then he goes on in the next few verses about why he thinks he has more than you. Paul is saying, listen, if anybody understands what it was to put confidence in their abilities, it was me. He says, if you think you've accomplished it, he says, I, I all the more. And he's not simply patting himself on the back. Actually, it was very true. I mean, even history has it. This guy was a high-end achiever. He was renowned in his day. Now, we, we lose that in, in our 21st century. We, we didn't walk those, those roads that he walked. But Paul, back in the day, was well-known by almost everybody. He was one of those who, high achievers. He was a high achiever. If he had mantles of all the things he'd accomplished, they would be filled with trophies and accolades of who he was and what he had done and what he had accomplished. Everybody knew Paul, or they knew Saul. And they knew what he did, what he could accomplish, and what he did accomplish. And that's what he's, he's merely saying. He says, listen, if you want to put your trust and confidence in your flesh, he says, I get it. I did it all the more. That was who I was. That's what he's saying in verse 4. He says, listen, that was me. There was a lot about me. But then he says, but then he says, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I realized I was heading all in the wrong direction. I was on this road to the city of Damascus and I had an encounter with the Christ. And then all those achievements of my life changed in that instant. I met Christ. And then a number of verses. Can we go down to verse 7? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everybody say, surpassing worth. We're going to come back to that. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me just unpack that for you. Back it up. Seven. 
Whatever were gains for me, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider everything loss. Okay, just Paul saying, all the things that people have said about me, all the, all the accolades spoken, all the positions that I bumped people out of and I got that position, all those things, he says, I mean, they were great. He was renowned. He says, when I discovered and found Christ, he says, I lost all those things. Now, at first, we might think, wow, that's too bad. It really sucks to be Paul and having lost everything. I mean, you lost everything. Paul, oh, wow, you gave up so much for Christ. I mean, that's, that's how we begin to think. All those things that you were, all the great things. Oh, man, you suffered for Jesus, didn't you? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I lost them all and then surpassed because Christ surpassed me. Christ surpassed it. You get to that section, um, I can say everything lost because of their surpassing worth of knowing not just Jesus, knowing Christ Jesus. Not just knowing my best buddy Jesus, but He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He's life. And so all the things that were, all the good, and He had them stacked up. Okay, He wasn't a low achiever, He was a high achiever. He wasn't down here. He was up here. And he says when he found Christ, that got lost. But don't, don't grieve for him. No, don't grieve for him. He counts it a pleasure to have lost it. Because in comparison, he gained Christ Jesus. Now I'm pausing here. Do you feel that way? I find there's sometimes I don't feel that way. I find sometimes I get to thinking, God, do you know how much I give up? Sometimes I get to thinking that my thoughts are a lot on achievements and trying to achieve more and not enough on Christ Jesus and what He's doing. And I want to put that in contrast because that's, if you want joy, if you want joy, if you want joy, then Christ Jesus, you got to embrace knowing Him. Now, knowing Him is not between the ears. Knowing Him, Paul's not saying, listen, you know, I've got this great dissertation about Christ Jesus. i got a good book on it. I mean, Paul's the one who wrote the books. He's the one who put the doctrines together. Paul was not talking about the doctrines of Jesus. He's talking about, I've experienced him. And when he makes that expression here, um, surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he goes and says, I consider all those achievements. And he's he's not dissing the achievements. But he considers all those achievements, all the things that have gained, the things I'm gifted in, all those achievements... He goes on to say, uh, I've lost, I consider them garbage if I could just gain Christ. And he uses the word Christ there, not Jesus. It's the same, but he's referring to the glory of God. All that to gain Jesus, or, or gain Christ, and be found in Him. Not having my righteousness, but righteousness through faith. What a beautiful picture. When we slow down and read it like that, it makes me hungry to know Christ like that too. That not just knowing Him, not just studying Him, and that's a part of it, but oh, spending time with Him, knowing Christ, His surpassing glory, His surpassing knowledge, the ability, His surpassing worth, Paul would say, of knowing Him. And that in comparison those achievements, those things on the mantle are like garbage. They, they actually start to stink 
And yet we spend so much time, so much of our time and effort and life and money and focus and sleepless nights and focusing on those. So hear very clearly, he's not saying don't be, a, don't be an achiever. He's not saying that. Don't be successful. He's not saying that. But he's saying if you want true joy, though, if you want true joy, you can't find true joy there because they can't last. True joy has to exceed those, and it's found. As Paul says, I had all those things, but when I encountered Christ, those things got lost in comparison to the joy, having joy in Christ Jesus. And Paul, he actually uh, talks a little bit about what that actually looks like. I mean, you, he goes from, from all those achievements to ground zero back up to elevated joy with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, he says, is my secret to joy. We pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes. I'm thinking, yes. Nobody even asked the question. Yes, he says. To know the power of his resurrection and participation. That participation means fellowship. Another translation actually uses it. And participating and engaging in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Did you know that part? I want to go back 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know. He says not just, again, he's focusing not just to understand him, not just to recite him, not to talk about him. He's talking about not just that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now that doesn't mean he one day was going to rise from the dead. I want to know what it is to live every day with that kind of power of Christ in work. But here it is. He continues. He just doesn't stop there. And participation or the fellowship in his sufferings to be like him. It's not about all the good. It's about in everything. I want to know Christ lived through me. Uh, Here's this high achiever. He's not talking about living a perfect life. He's talking about living a life in Christ. Let me just bring it home. Maybe in some ways you feel you've arrived. Maybe your accomplishments, might, your accomplishments might include uh, your workplace. Maybe some here today, you've worked to get where you are. You have climbed that ladder. Maybe not corporate, but it might be in your, your area of expertise, in your area of, of, of specialty. You're there. Uh, maybe you are at a good place in salary right now. Maybe you are popular among your peers. They would vote you to be, you know, the VIP of the company or your group. Maybe you drive a fine automobile in the parking lot here. Maybe you have an eloquent wardrobe. Maybe a nice home. Maybe a summer home. Maybe you've got a winter home too. But here's the issue. Here's what Paul is saying. He says you've got to look deeper. If you've got to have joy, the joy of the Lord, you've got to look deeper than this. Questions like this you need to ask. How's your personal life? That part of you when no one else is looking, how is it? That part of you when you lay it in your bed at night, how do you feel about your life? How's your marriage if you're married these days? How's it with your wife? How's it with your husband? How's your relationship with your son or your daughter? Are there any habits out of control in your life? Are there addictions that you're not conquering? What if you become ill? What if you lose the ability to earn? And this is something I've been thinking a little bit about lately because 
I just picked up my second copy, first copy I lent out and it never came back, second copy of Billy Graham's book, Nearing Home. Nearing Home. And I'm reading it again. And he wrote it when he was 93 years old. Of course, Billy Graham has passed, gone to be with the Lord. Billy Graham was a high achiever. Wouldn't you say he was a high achiever? He wrote this book because in that year prior to writing it, he encountered a lot of physical problems. His Parkinson's was taking over. A lot of things were breaking down. He had even identified, he said, he came to the place in his ministry. He was watching somebody else one time younger, in his younger years. And this preacher was pastoring of church and he didn't know when to, to hang it up. He didn't know when to hang up the hat. And he had gotten old and he got a bit decrepit and he wasn't very sharp anymore. And he says it was really sad to watch this one-time one great preacher get up and he couldn't keep his thoughts in order. And somebody actually had to come up and, you know, kind of take him off the platform. And Billy Graham saw that. He says it was the best thing that ever happened. He told his, his uh, crew that works with him and his family, he says, when I start to lose my edge, don't let me continue to do what I'm doing. Let somebody else take it. He says one of the best things he ever did, and that had happened years prior, where they just, everybody wanted, who wouldn't want? I mean, I'd have Billy Graham come if he was still alive and speak in my church, you know, in a wheelchair and everything. I mean, he's Billy Graham. But he says, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. If I've lost my edge, if I've lost my edge, just let me be behind the scenes and push, push the younger generation forward and bless them. What a great man. And he's writing this book, and he's talking about, he's talking about this part. When you are ill, when you are not well, when you don't have energy anymore, you can't keep your thoughts together, you get aggravated about this, these things worry you, your conversations are all around your medications and doctors. Now, I know some of you are smiling if I could see behind your mask. When your conversations tend to be mostly about medications and doctors, in those times when you've lost your earning power, the secrets that may haunt you, the worries that cause you to keep rolling over and over in the night. You can still, as Paul's talking about, those are the real questions. Is there the fundamental grace of God, the joy of the Lord? And he takes us into the next part, and I've got five things to share, but let's read the verses first. Pick it up in verse 12. Now that I have already attained all this, not that I have already attained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only, verse 16, let us live up to what we already have attained. I want to summarize five things. Here we go. Number one, the plan is progress, not perfection. So don't make perfection the goal. Make progress your goal. Are you growing in the Lord? Step at a time, step at a time. And if not, why not? And what will it take for you to get back on your growth trajectory with God? Quit comparing yourself to them, that person, this person, that person. Yeah, don't buy that. Compare yourself to the Lord Jesus and what He's doing and wanting to do and begin that trajectory of growth 
back with him. The plan is progress. Two times Paul says, not that I have obtained it. Another time he says, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about there's always room to be more like Christ. There's always room to be more like him. You see, perfectionists, they have a whale of a battle with this. (laughs) Because it's about that level. They want life lived flawlessly by everybody. And so them and you and you and right everybody. That's not what he's talking about. Listen, if in the last couple of years you've seen some good God-given growth in your life, celebrate it. Rejoice. Have joy. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I'm just giving you permission. Have joy. Celebrate. And if not, it doesn't have to keep that way. Then let's. Let's do that. If in the last year, if in the last six months, look for things that you can, are you growing are you, or are you not? And that's the big question. So the plan is progress. That's what Paul is saying. Secondly, the past is over. Forget it. Now, it doesn't mean you throw out all your scrapbooks and stuff. They're not talking about that. But, you know, sometimes we live our life all, listen, how many here, how many here have your license? You can drive a vehicle. How many have your license? Okay, I know that might be actually two different questions. You have your license and you can drive. Some people have a license and they can't drive. I get that. Okay, so I'm assuming you can. You have your license, you drive a vehicle. Listen, you know it's not a good thing to spend a lot of time looking in your rearview mirror. Because if you look a lot in your rearview mirror, what's going to happen? You're going to run into somebody. Right? Uh, I remember they told me that when we did driver training way back when. Uh, you know, it's like I remember the driver training lady telling me, she says, you're responsible for what's in front of you, not what's behind you. Be responsible for what's in front of you. Great, great word, great word. Uh, And likewise, we can always be looking in our rearview mirror, looking back over, you know, runners, and he actually got this from runners, when you're running and you're in a competitive race, uh, you might think, oh, I wonder where the second place is, and and you lose stride. So don't look over your shoulder, don't look in the rearview mirror. He says, listen, the pass is over. Maybe your past was great. I mean, maybe it was just amazing. And we keep looking back and we keep singing the same songs that you sang 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You can't get off of it. No problem singing those songs as long as you got new ones too. Right? Anybody want to... Where's Pastor Trish? Pastor Trish, give me an amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Last week when she was on, uh, when she was on speaking... Uh, I didn't realize our live stream, people could respond. And uh, God bless you, Pastor Trisha's family. You were responding. I love you guys. Just constant beret of responding. It's true. There's something about that, listen, it's, it's not that you don't, you don't do your best, but at the same time, pass us back and don't get caught up in that. Don't get lost in that. Uh, we can lose our place by always looking back. Maybe it's a great past, but even in the great past, uh, Let's move. Let's look forward. And that brings us to the next point, number three. The future holds out hope. Reach for it. The picture Paul has here was a picture of the chariot races. And maybe you've seen pictures of them or you've seen episodes maybe on television. And in the chariot race, you see the chariot, the guy's leaning into it. Kind of strangely, just like leaning into it. And maybe it's a benefit. Maybe it helps the horse. I'm not sure. But that's the picture. The picture here is the future holds out hope. Lean into it. 
Lean into it. Reach for it. Reach for it. What lies ahead, Christ has for you. And there's some good things he has ahead. Number four, the secret is a determined attitude. Maintain it. He says if anyone has a different attitude, God will reveal it to him. The attitude. Have an attitude that is confident. Have an attitude. It's not just self-motivation. We're not talking self-motivation. We're talking about a determined attitude. The attitude is an attitude that is of, again, joy, but of that there's uh, pleasure. The greatest thing that will attract people to Jesus is not your words. The greatest thing that will attract people to Jesus is an attitude of joy, consistently lived out in your life. Because it's a commodity that is not, it's not recognized very much. And oftentimes people reject the message of Christ because they're rejecting a picture of a messenger at some point. And they don't want to be like them. Well, that's sad. So then you and I have to maybe spend a bit of extra time and effort in order to right what was wrong just by them getting to know you and realizing you don't have to be miserable to be a Christian. You can be joyful and be a follower of Christ. That's what Paul was making reference to. Determined attitude. I came across a, a book, Bob Benson. It was a, a little excerpt from the book. He wrote a book called Laughter in the Walls and talking about this kind of an attitude. Let me just read a little portion of it. Okay, Let me just do that before we close. Laughter in the Walls. Here it is. I pass a lot of houses on my way home. Some pretty, some expensive, some inviting. But my heart always skips a beat when I turn down the road and see my house nestled against the hill. I guess I'm especially proud of the house and the way it looks because I drew the plans myself. Obviously a bit of an architect. I started out, it started out large enough for us. I even had a study. Two teenage boys now reside in that study. It had a guest room. My girl and her nine dolls are permanent guests in that, in that guest room. I had a small room made just for Peg, Peg's his wife, for Peg. Had hoped it would be her sewing room. However, two boys swing on the Dutch doors. They've claimed that room as their own. So it really doesn't look right now as if I'm much of an architect. But it will get larger again because one by one, they will go away to work, to college. They will go to service, to their own houses. And then there will be room, a guest room, a study, a sewing room for just Peg and I. But it won't be empty. Every corner, every room, every nick in the coffee table will be crowded with memories. Memories of picnics, parties. Christmases, bedside vigils, summers, fires, winters, going barefoot, leaving for vacation, cats, conversations, black eyes, graduations, first dates, ball games, arguments, washing dishes, bicycles, dogs, boat rides, getting home from vacations, meals, rabbits, and a thousand other things that fill the lives of those who would raise five. And, here's the last sentence, catch this. And, Peg and I will sit quietly by the fire and listen to the laughter in the walls. I like that. Sit quietly by the fire and listen to the laughter in the walls. 
a determined attitude. An attitude that is not brought down by changes, but determined, persistent, confident, moving forward. And number five, keep a high standard. Keep a high standard. Uh, I just want to close with these two verses here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Great verse, isn't it? Don't lose heart in doing good. There will come a time we'll reap a harvest. It will happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Sometimes we get to feeling it is. Sometimes, you know, volunteers who come early on Sunday mornings, who come and clean up and, and set things up and do the data, it can get long and seeming unthankful, non-thankful. But just keep doing good. Keep doing good. Keep the high standard. Those who, you know, even the worship team comes at 8 o'clock and just going through things and just to provide worship for all of 15 minutes. Keep the standard. You know what it is. The things, the phone calls you make, the people you go across the road to talk to, the little effort, little extra effort you make for someone else. Keep doing it. That's what he's saying. Keep the high standard. Keep the high standard. Be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Remember, you don't do it for them. You do. But it's not just for them. You do it for the Lord. And so as I do it for the Lord, His joy gives me strength. And if they say thank you, that's a bonus, but I'm not going to live for it. If they reciprocate, that's fine, but I'm not going to live for that. If I see immediate results, that's fine, but I'm not going to live for it. You're, You're tracking with me. I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You do it because you do it to the Lord. Keep a high standard. So let me close. These five. Here's the take-homes. You ready? The plan is progress, not perfection. The past is over. Forget it. The future holds out hope. Reach for it. The secret is a determined attitude. Maintain it. Don't let them steal it from you. Watch out for those dogs. They'll try. And keep a high standard. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Joy for high achievers. Paul says it's there. It's for you. I want to close, and I want this to be our our hearts, our story, our lives, that this would be for us today. And I invite you, maybe there is something, things, that is stealing that joy. Or maybe you're here today, this morning, or maybe you're watching this morning, and you have not made that decision to put Jesus at the center of your life. And like Paul, you can testify to achievements, but it's time to let Christ be your achievement. Invite you to do that. Why don't we just make a a rededication? You know, it never hurts to stand before the Lord and say, God, I hear your word this morning. I rededicate this as my desire for you. Not that maybe you've never done it. Maybe you haven't. And today is the first time. Or maybe you just need to do it again today. Yes. You've done it before. Yeah, you're going to do it again. Today, Lord, I recognize there's some things here I just need to do, and I'm going to bring them into place before you. Let your grace abound in my life so that surpassing worth of Christ is greater than all the others in my life. I invite you. Would you join me in standing?
in just a few moments where I'm going to close in prayer. But there's a song I wanted us to uh, sing before I close in prayer. And it's a song we sang a couple of weeks back. And it goes, um, Let it be Jesus, the first name that I call. Let it be Jesus, my song inside the storm. I'll never need another. And it comes right from Philippians. Invite you. Let's join together as we sing this song. Let it be Jesus, the first name that I, very simple, and let it be Jesus, the song inside the storm. I'll never need another Jesus. There's no other. And Jesus, let's sing that again. Let it be. Let it be Jesus. First name that I call. Let it be Jesus. My song inside the There's no other for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. God, I breathe your name above everything. Let it be, let it be, Jesus. Let it be, let it be. Let it be for me to live, for me to live is Christ. Make it your prayer. For me to live is Christ. God, I breathe your name above everything. Let it be, let it be. Let it be, let it be, Jesus. I just invite you, would you lift your hands? Lord, that's our prayer. God, inside the storm, Jesus. Whatever comes our way, we breathe Jesus. Lord, your grace abounds over all those things. And so, Lord, I pray joy for high achievers just as Paul spoke God may we take this third chapter and find relevance in our hearts our lives that God we would be likewise thank you God thank you for hearing our prayer thank you for even just that you care enough that we can place and recenter some things in our life around you grant it we pray I pray that we will see it today tomorrow this week as we make this conscious decision. Lord, help us as we as we circle back to this scripture again and we see it again. God, give us those eyes to see it as you would have us see it, that we would likewise to live as Christ, to live as Christ, that God, that's our desire. Everything else would be like trash. Let it be, we pray. In Jesus' name. That's your prayer. Say amen. Amen. Let it be. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. 
remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.